0: Well, this morning, we are going to be talking about the Sixth Commandment, and it's found in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, and then we're going to read a passage from the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 5, as we hear Jesus explaining the Sixth Commandment. Before we do that, and before we get to this command, I'll say something that I think is probably pretty obvious. (coughs) When we talk about the commandments... Each week we see that they are very, very broad in their application. And so, you know, each week we can't hope to uh, touch on every application that's out there. And, um, you know, the second command, it does, I think, bring up uh, a lot of questions that we can't answer today. And uh, I at least want to say this at the beginning, that the murder or the killing that's in view in the Sixth Commandment does not have certain things in view the word in the original Hebrew, it, it, it's used, it is never used in the Bible for the acts of killing in war. It's never this same word is never used in the Bible when capital punishment or self defense is talked about or killing in self defense. So, what we're going to spend our time discussing this morning is the kind of murder that's actually in view in the sixth commandment. Um, and still, you know. It will be much broader than what we talk about, but this helps, I think, narrow what we are going to talk about this morning. So, let's come to the commandments. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. We see the commandment. You shall not murder. And then in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. (coughs) Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, "'Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. "'Then come and offer your gift. "'Settle matters quickly with your adversary "'who is taking you to court. "'Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, "'and the judge may hand you over to the officer, "'and you may be thrown into prison. "'I tell you the truth, you will not get out "'until you have paid the last penny.' And then if you go over to verse 43 in the same chapter, you see this. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, What reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help this morning. Father, we come before your word now and we pray that you, by your Spirit, would work through your word, that your Spirit would write these words on our hearts, that your Spirit would this very morning bring both conviction and comfort. As we often pray, you know all of us. You know who we are together. You know who we are corporately. But you know us individually. And you know that there are people who Here this morning, simply out of duty. Don't know what else to do with their Sunday mornings, and so they find themselves here again. There are those who come this morning and they are bothered and confused by your providence in their lives, wondering. Where you are, they have, like the psalmist, asked the question, How long, O Lord? How long will it be until you turn your face towards me again? Still, there are those who come this morning who find themselves caught in deep struggles with their sin, Who, though it is secret to many around them, they know of the hypocrisy that lies in their hearts. They know that they claim to be one thing with their mouths, and yet there is a great distance from that in their lives. And still, there are those who come this morning hungry and thirsty. Knowing that they are sinful, that they are desperate for your mercy and grace. And they want to be refreshed by your presence. Father, you know us all. And you know how we all come together to be in this place today. And from what different places we come But our prayer is that your spirit would convict all of us and that your spirit would comfort all of us with the good news. That you would show us this morning how sinful we really are, but that you would also lift our eyes to see the glorious good news of the gospel. That Jesus died on the cross in order that sinners like us might be forgiven. That in dying on the cross and being raised from the grave... He conquered sin and He conquered death. And He credits us with His own perfect, spotless and blameless righteousness. Father, we pray that You would give us this morning deep conviction and deep comfort in Your gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are certainly not strangers to murder. I mean, we live in a culture where we see and hear a lot about people being murdered. Um, You know, all you have to do is turn on your television and watch the news to figure this out, right? You know, the world that we live in is a violent place. You know, we read in the newspaper, we see on the news, we hear about things like, abductions and abuse, violence both in and out of the home. We, we're scared to drive our car in certain places in town. Um, we hear stories about kids showing up at their schools with guns and murdering their peers. We hear about genocide in other parts of the world. We see and hear a lot about murder and violence in the world today. And so I think when we hear a command that says, "'You shall not murder,' Immediately, we tend to think about someone else out there. I mean, we're talking about murder here, right, in this command. But listen, Jesus wants you to think about yourself when you think about murder. See, most of us hear this command and we think, well, good, I I get a break this morning. I'm not a murderer. Those are really bad people. How do we start seeing what this command actually has to say to us. <clears throat> Let me tell you about a very typical conversation that I had with one of my kids. I, I was getting ready to leave the house one morning and go to work. And I was putting on my, <clears throat> my jacket because it was a chilly morning. And one of my kids asked me, what you doing, Daddy? And I said, well, I'm putting on my jacket. And then this child said, why? And I said, well, it's cold outside. But why are you going? Where are you going? I said, "Well, I'm going to work." Why? Because that's my job. Um, (laughs) Why? Because you know, God, God made daddy to work. Why? I was getting a little frustrated at this point, so I said, "You know, because I have to make money so that you can eat and have a place to live, shelter." Why? Okay, go to your room. We've had enough of this conversation. You know, why I think is a is a pretty important word and we understand that because with the word why you know even with my child we go from putting on a jacket uh, to a few seconds later and we're talking about sustaining the life of a young child right why takes you to the reason why takes you to the heart of it until you answer the question why you will think that this commandment is for others and you'll until you answer this question you'll You'll keep it at a distance, you know, so that it can be managed by you. But when you understand why God has a problem with murder, you will be forced to deal with yourself. See, this is a very simple command, really. You know, in fact, the commandments were originally written in Hebrew, which we said a moment ago. But in the Hebrew, this command is stated with just two words. It just says this in the original. No murder. That's it. Period. First, I want to talk with you about valuing life as we begin to answer the why question. You see, this blunt, simple command is telling us that life is valuable, so do not murder. But I mean, What if you were an artist, right? What if you were an artist and you spent hours perfecting your skills with, let's say, the paintbrush? And what if you put you, all of this work and this energy and these skills towards creating a self-portrait. Attention to every detail, coloring, shading, lines, and contrast, and all these kind of things from a blank canvas to a reproduction of your likeness. I mean, an artist, you know, we understand this. An artist always puts a piece of himself or herself into their work, right? And, and so, But especially, and most intentionally, that is done in a self-portrait. You know, God's glory... It is revealed in all of creation. Every part of his handiwork bears his mark. I mean, David, the shepherd boy in Psalm 19, he says the heavens declare the glory of God. His fingerprints are on everything, even the stars, the waterfalls, the mountains, the seas. They bear his mark. But most especially and most clearly and most intentionally, his mark is on his self-portrait. In the beginning of the Bible, God makes man and woman. And he makes man and woman, we are told, in his own image, in his likeness. He puts his stamp, as it were, on humanity. All humans bear the image of God himself. And what this means for us is that we are to value life. Because God gave every single life value when he created it in his image. It is not your right, it is not my right to treat people the way we want to treat people. Life is to be treated with dignity, seriousness, and value because life belongs to God Himself. See, if you were an artist and you spent all this time painting your own self-portrait, you know, leaving your mark on that canvas, if someone came and they took one look at it and they grabbed it and they began to rip it to shreds, it would be very offensive. Life is to be valued and protected because God is saying, murder is tearing His image in others. I want to begin drawing out some applications here for us. You know, a number of you, I'm sure, probably already expected that this command has something to say about abortion. Unfortunately, I have to treat this very, very briefly because of time, but this is obviously a very important discussion for us. An important discussion for us in this room. You see, statistics tell us that one out of every six evangelical church-going women have had an abortion. And the reason I wish I had more time to deal with this particular issue is because I think what often, I think what often gets lost in a discussion about something like abortion is that God's grace is able to deal with any and every sin, even that sin that he is able and willing to forgive all your sins in Jesus. With that said, this command calls for us to value life, wherever it is, even the life of the unborn. Listen, abortion is not a political, you know, Democrat, Republican issue. Abortion is not a freedom issue, no matter what you're told. It is a life and death issue. What we need to see and understand as the people of God is that life matters. And God calls us not to stand on the sidelines, but to aggressively stand for life, even for the life of the unborn. The unborn bear the image of the immortal God and therefore have a priceless value which we must protect. At the other end of the spectrum, this has something to say about the elderly. Life is to be valued wherever it is. We said this last week that we live in a culture of youth, and old age is often despised in this culture. That you, you will know that this is borne out in current trends and legislation and all of that, and it shouldn't surprise you to hear that a major ethicist at Princeton he argues that the elderly in our country ought to be euthanized, put to death, because this is his reasoning. They spend over half of the resources on health court in the whole of their life in their last six months. And what he is saying is he is saying you can get old, but there comes a point in your life when you no longer matter, when, you're, when you are worthless. I want to speak just for a second to the younger generation, because I think you and I may think, well, this... You know, this would never happen to us. You know, that's extreme. I would never put grandmother to sleep. You know, I would never do that. Um, But let me tell you what you often do, do. You often simply ignore the elderly. I mean, how many people over the age of 80, outside of your own family, do you actually know? I mean, look around you in this room. There is a good mix of age in this room, right? Young and old. How many elderly people do you actually spend time with showing them that they do matter and have value? You see, the elderly are not supposed to be shut out of society, put behind closed doors, uh, to be treated like they are worthless. Listen, these are the people you need to get to know in your life. These are the people you need to invite into your home to have a meal with you. These are the people you need to talk to, to serve, to be with. This also means that every single per- person you meet in life has value. You know, we could go on and on here to discuss the lives that we often do not value. What about the poor? I mean, we live in a city that struggles with poverty. How do you treat the poor? Do you ignore them? Do you look down on them? Or the homeless, the widow, the fatherless, the handicapped? Do you spend your time, your money, your energy on such as these? If you look at them and you turn your head, if you will not value the life of these, you have no right to call yourself pro-life. That, my friends, is called hypocrisy, according to the Bible. In this command, God is calling us to value all life, that bears his image because he gave it value when he made man and woman in his image. You know, I knew of a family in Jackson, Mississippi, when I was there years ago, and they made a decision to adopt children into their family who were born terminally ill. All the children that they adopted would all die within hours or days or weeks of them bringing them home. These were children who were born to drug addicts in the city. And they were children who were born in such a horrible condition that their lives could only be supported for a short time outside of the womb. You know, some were born with uh, without a developed brain or with severe nervous system uh, problems. And they took these children home, these unwanted children, into their home knowing that they would simply care for these children until they died. Because they would die. You know, sometimes they would bring home a baby who would cry nonstop for weeks until it died. That's all that baby would do, was cry. They would care for these children. They would shower these children with affection. How how, how do you do something like that? You know, I mean... How could you in your home endure so much suffering and pain and death time after time after time? The only way you could do that is if you valued life, not because of its quality, but because of its sanctity. Because when you saw a baby born without a developed brain, you didn't see something worthless. You saw the image of God. You see, God is aggressively pro-life because humanity bears His image. Let me say one brief side note, and we're going to move on. What all of this means to you personally, I think, is this. It means you have value. I mean, most of us in this room, if we're honest, we struggle with some forms of insecurity, wondering at times if we really do matter. And what God is saying in this command is He is saying, you matter, and it does not matter who you are or what you have done or where you have been. You matter because you are made in the likeness of God. Second, what does it really mean to take life? What does it mean to murder and when have you pulled the trigger? Um, If humanity bears the image of God, then could it maybe be possible that murder is more than just physically taking a life. You know this. someone could build you up with a thousand encouraging words. They could say a, a, a thousand kind things to you. And in a moment, they could say one hor- one horrible, belittling, scornful thing to you. And you would forget every kind thing they said to you. And you would remember the scorn. Why is that? It is because things like words have the ability to tear into us and take away our dignity and our value, and pierce us. It is because it is murder. We read this passage out of Matthew, and what you heard was Jesus explaining what the sixth commandment means. Notice how he begins in verse 21 by saying, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. Here's what's going on. Jesus is saying something like this. I know what you heard about the sixth commandment. There's a tradition about what the sixth commandment means. And in these verses, he's saying, you've heard that the sixth commandment was only about physically taking someone's life. But I am telling you that murder is when you say certain things to people. Murder is when you act a certain way. Murder is when you have a certain attitude towards people. That's what this command means. When you begin to see the value of life, this command is no longer manageable. And you can't just point the finger at someone else. Jesus is saying that your heart, your heart reveals what you really think about God's image in others. Your heart, in fact, is the problem. So what, when Jesus says in verse 22 that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment, what he's doing is he's taking you to the root of violence. Have you ever been angry with someone? You know, have you ever felt your, your heart boil? Have you ever felt your temperature rise you know, when someone stood in the way of what you wanted? Have you ever had that, that impulse you know, to strike back, to get even? Well, of course you have, because you've been angry before. And Jesus is saying, look, the violence and the murder, it is inside of you. And so Jesus goes on this passage and he says that you are guilty when you call your brother Raka. Now, I know that means a lot to you. Um, you know, what does Raka mean? It could be translated to say something like this. Whenever you say to your brother, you are nothing. You see, you probably don't even say that to very many people, but I wonder how many times you've thought it. How many times you have really looked down on someone else when you've treated someone as less important, like they don't matter very much, thinking that so-and-so just couldn't possibly be a part of your group because they just don't measure up. Why do you do things like that? It is because of your pride. Your pride causes you to look down on others to feel as if, they don't matter as much and that they're not as important as you because you think you are so sophisticated and that you're so together and you're so much more of a man, so much more of a woman, and so you turn up your nose and you treat people like they're nothing. But Jesus goes on. He says, you're also guilty when you say you fool. The word in the Greek is moros. We could easily translate it moron, right? Again, it is looking down. It's saying you are such a fool. You don't even deserve my time. It's the attitude that says, you and I, we are not on the same level. I'm above you. It happens when you stop taking people seriously like they matter. It happens when you listen to someone talk, but you never actually hear what they say. Because they're just not important enough for you to give your time to. We know so little about humility. Being made in God's image on the one hand gives us this you know, this great sense of worth and value personally, but this, at the same time, it ought to humble you to the dust to understand that the poorest man on the face of the earth, he is, has just as much value as the most wealthy, powerful man who ever lived. But we don't tend to think like that. We tend to think there are important people and not too important people. There are people to get to know and then people who really don't matter as much. You murder when you look down on others who are made in God's image. I wonder, has anyone ever looked down on you before? I mean, what did that make you feel like? Do you know what it is to be ignored? To be treated like you really don't matter? Do you know what it is to feel unimportant in a relationship? If you were honest it feels like someone took your life is what it feels like. Like someone grabbed your dignity, like someone grabbed your your value, your worth, and they crushed it in their hands. Jesus is saying, look at your heart, watch the way you treat others and talk to others because you use your words and you use your attitudes like weapons and those weapons dismantle and they rip into and they tear into the image of God. You know, We've all heard the saying before. last time you heard it might have been on the playground. I don't know. But here's how it goes. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. I wonder, for those of you in this room who are a little bit older and a little bit wiser, I wonder what you actually think about that now that you've grown up. Because I think the phrase should actually go something like this. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but guess what? Bones will heal. (laughs) But words they will kill you a look from someone that says you don't matter it will annihilate you see with our pride Jesus is saying we often brush off people who are made in the very image of God in our arrogance we often treat those around us as insignificant and so he's saying watch your words and watch your heart that is where you find murder finally And positively, this command is teaching us that we're to love life. I mean, this command says that we are to be aggressively for life, showing compassion and mercy. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus mentions the need to be reconciled in his explanation of the sixth command. You see it there in verses 23 and 24. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. I think it's kind of interesting here in this passage. Because here Jesus is saying, not when you are angry, but when someone else is angry at you. Deal with it before you worship me. And if you don't, you're guilty of breaking this command. You see, truth be known, there are difficult people in all of our lives. People who simply wear on us. It is easy to love people who don't bother you, who don't cost you. But what about the irritating person? You know, what about the person who is always overanalyzing things and once again has something against you? I think you know the people that I'm talking about because they cause a lot of trouble and a lot of heartache. They are not easy to get along with. There always seems to be something with these people. And here's what Jesus is saying. If you turn your back on them and you ignore them, you've treated them like they don't matter. What's more, Jesus seems to be saying this, doesn't he? Don't even think about worshiping me until you fix or heal that relationship. He's saying this. I do not want you to worship me. I do not want you to come into my house and to my altar and offer me praise. If you will not be reconciled to your brother or your sister. He doesn't want it because you know why? Because it is absolutely hypocritical. See, Jesus is saying that you heard one thing about the sixth command, but this command was given to you because you were meant to love others, even those who are hard to love. But Jesus sees every life has value. Even the irritating, annoying, overanalyzing people in your life made in the image of God. They deserve your love and your compassion and your time and your energy. So He tells you to heal those relationships. Don't ignore them, but turn to them And be reconciled. I also read to you that other passage out of Matthew chapter 5. And I picked that one passage for this simple reason. Jesus in that passage tells you to love your enemies. I almost feel like we should just close our Bibles and go home now. I mean, because he really did say that. He said it. It's not a joke. You know, it is one thing to love someone who is hard to love. It is another thing to love and show compassion and mercy to someone who hates you, to your enemy. The one who will never, ever repay your kindness. The one who hurts you not by accident, but on purpose. Jesus is unbelievably radical here it's not just don't pay your enemy back. I mean, all kinds of people say that. That's pretty easy. He goes much further than that. He says, love your enemy. Do not leave your enemy alone. Go and show love. There was a woman and a man who got married and they they were married as unbelievers. And Shortly after they were married, they they were both converted, and they had tried for years to get pregnant, and finally they were able to get pregnant. And understandably, for them, it was a very exciting time in their lives. And um, everything went well. Uh, Baby showers, gifts, all that kind of stuff. They were excited, painted the baby room. She delivered the baby. Everything went fine. However, in the nursery of the hospital, a nurse mistakenly, hooked her child up to an IV with the wrong medication. And that mistake left that baby with irrevocable brain damage. And her pastor heard about it, and her pastor came to visit her in the hospital. And he came into the room, and he found her rocking the baby. And he said, I came to see you because I heard, but I don't know what to say. And she said, we're just fine. And he said, how is that possible? And she said, well, you see, she said, I can picture someone, I can picture in my mind's eye, someone holding this baby up and saying, who wants this child? This child will never be able to eat on his own, never be able to go to the bathroom by himself, never be able to say thank you, never be able to get out of the bed ever. In his life, who wants this child? And she said, I can see myself jumping up to say, I want that child. And so the pastor asked her, Why? And she said, Because I can see someone holding me up and saying, Who wants this woman? She will lie to you. She will gossip about you. She will stab you in the back. Who wants this woman? And she said, and in my mind's eye, I can see Jesus standing up to say, I want that woman. Why is a pretty important word. I mean, because with that little word, you get to the very heart of things. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do you know why? Because Jesus set His love upon you when you were a stranger, when you were His enemy, when you wanted nothing to do with Him, He pursued you with His love to a cross. That is the only way this mother knew to love her child. Because of the love she saw for her in Jesus. Two things here as we close. This is not just motivational kind of stuff here. The sixth commandment says to all of us in this room this morning, you have failed. You do not value and protect life the way you should. You look down on others and rarely do you show the love of Jesus to those in your life. So here's what this says. Flee to Jesus. Run to him. You broke and you tore his image in others and he was broken and torn for you on a cross in order that you might have life in him you have to find mercy beneath the shadow of the cross second this is also the how to i mean if you want if you want to, to value life to love life the way jesus does and avoid from taking life you must see how jesus did this he came not to take life but to give his life as a sacrifice for the many in order that he might make you sons And daughters. You have to see it in Jesus and in the way He deals with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, yet again we come before you, and by the conviction of your Spirit, we realize that we are not what you made us to be. To stand before your law is to be reminded that we are sinners through and through. And so we ask for your grace and your mercy. Forgive us all our sins. Wash us with the blood of Jesus, we pray. And granting us our freedom, we pray that you would send us back to this very law that condemns us. And that you would set us free To live it. That in our lives. Day in and day out. It might be said of us. That these people. Value life. Wherever it is found. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.